Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Like a lot of marginalized folks, Jenna Pup from the Hears Collective found solace in the underground punk scene. 2021 marks the 10-year anniversary of the Collective, which has recorded over 300 songs. Yes, 300. The Hears Collective throws elements of punk, hardcore, and grindcore into a blender, and out comes inspirational chaos. As a member of the Collective, Jenna has been outspoken about mental health issues, striving for inclusivity and safer spaces above all else. Jenna has lived with mental health issues since a young age and has found success with medications. She also considers screaming itself as an antidepressant, and I agree. As a trans woman, Jenna found out how crucially important the queer punk scene was to her when she moved to Philadelphia in 2008 and found her community. The Here's Collective has an empowering slogan for folks striving for mental health, which we'll hear more about later. In a nutshell, the slogan says, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be sick. I'm Jenna Pup. I am part of the Here's Collective and Jenna and the Pups and do a lot of work with Get Better Records. Been in the punk scene since probably I was born. (laughs) My parents were noticing changes in me probably like 10 or 11 years old and so I've always known about having either depression or ADHD, anxiety, And then was like pretty, what felt to me heavily medicated until I was around 17, where I was walking down the school halls and not to be crude was like, wow, I'm 17 years old or 16 or something. I feel like a zombie. I haven't jerked off in three weeks. Whatever I am taking is affecting my body and my brain. So I stopped it. And through the guise of not understanding male privilege, white supremacy, transness, all these things, my life seemed to be pretty simple until I started educating myself more and learning more about how I move through the world and 
how my male privilege, even as a trans woman before I knew I was trans, and my white privilege affected people around me, just politicizing myself and all these things. And that's when the anxiety and <laughs> other things started coming through again to where I, I really needed to do some self-care, figure out how to take care of myself to move differently through the world. At what age did you start to consider coming out and transitioning or at least the thoughts of it? Yeah, so I didn't really know what queer or trans was until I moved to Philadelphia in 2008. I never considered myself straight. I remember one time my mom was like, I don't know, maybe like found some clothes or some whatever. I was going through a phase. It's like, Jenna, are you gay? I'm like, no. Oh, okay, you're straight. No. So you're bi. And I'm like, no, <laughs> just Jenna. But then moving to Philly and like learning about the queer scene and or even like what queerness is. And then I think in October 11th, 2012 was when I like came out as trans after like three or four years of trying to figure it out. And yeah, figuring out how to tell people. And I was finally just like on international or national coming out day, whatever it was, I was like, F it, just gonna, maybe it was like a Facebook post or something. <laughs> Did you notice a conscious shift between pre coming out, post coming out as far as your mental health goes? I didn't until it took a few years to realize that learning about myself, becoming more like radicalized and politicized and the anxiety was the first thing that started. And then, yeah, the world is like a rough place, period. And even when we're trying our best to provide support and care for like ourselves and our community, sometimes it's just super daunting and still too heavy. And that is when things just start like crushing down, you know? And I love my family very much. For the most part, they're supportive, but they are not practiced <laughs> in that support. My mom will come to a hear show and she'll refer to my name and my correct gender there, but at home it's different. And we've, we've had some like really amazing, beautiful talks recently about it, but those were moments too, just like being trans and not being able to let go of the ways in which you were raised and the ways in which either your family or your old friends or the world sees you. Going back to childhood and in school, do you remember much about that as far as the idea of not knowing who you were or maybe knowing who you were but being afraid to express that? I don't think so. I think since I didn't really understand or even have like an idea of what transness was, or like the fact that I was trans or queerness or whatever. I grew up a fat, weird redhead, which I still am. <laughs> and I love that now, but it was difficult then, but I held my shit together pretty okay. Was able to stick up for myself, but I always knew I was different, but it was never something that felt negative. I remember telling my mom once, I was like, you know, I think I'm a Tom girl. She's like, what is that? And it's like, you know how girls are tomboys? I'm kind of like a tom girl. I don't mind playing with Barbies. I, <laughs> I remember that conversation 
while I was in second grade. And I also remember the conversation of telling her I had a boyfriend. Girls have girlfriends. My best friend boy is my boyfriend. Like those like little moments that I remember, they spark so much joy in me for me knowing that when I was eight years old, then like when I was 28 being like, I don't understand. <laughs> you ended up moving to Philly. What kind of support did you find if you did? So my best friend and I moved here in 2008. We both needed a change. We lived in Detroit suburbs. The reason we ended up here is because we had had such an amazing connection with some folks here that we had made friends with around like 2002, 2003 from touring. And so we would just basically continue to come here every time we had a chance to tour to the point where we did like the nine hour drive just to play a birthday show and drove back. We had a community already in punk. And through that, I wiggled my way through and found like queer shows and queer houses and like queer punk spaces. That version of community were like the ones that I figured out my queerness and transness. And then that support was also flowing in. What would you tell a listener is in a nutshell, the message of the collective? That's a great question. And I feel like it's often changing, but more often than not, it is while aggressive sonically and often visually like at shows, we are a collective of folks that want to provide care and support and whatever versions of inclusivity and safety while also like not being afraid to talk about either the things we're afraid of or the things that bug us. Yeah, and I think one of the other important things is in theory, it's this never ending support group kind of. <laughs> I've been very happy to hear folks be like, you know, it's not my type of music, but it is my type of message. Like never really been in like a mosh pit or crowd surfed or been on a surfboard on top of people at a show. That was pretty entertaining and fun. And I'm like, great, entertaining. You felt like as safe as you could feel or like supported, solid, nailed it. Based on what I know about my own history, as far as the kind of shows I go to and the bands I like, there's a disconnect between going to a house show and going to a bigger punk show in a bigger club or something. What is the difference for you between going to a bigger punk show like that and playing at a queer punk space or a basement show? To be honest, I think it depends on the band, right? Because like, there's still these literally radical, political, wild, supportive bands that play huge shows still, where it can feel similar to playing in a small punk queer house basement or something, right? It really depends who's playing and what they are providing by being there and how they are supporting the audience. I read an article about the Here's Collective, and they described it as being primal scream therapy for femme rage, which I thought was cool. Um, wow. Whenever I see the words scream therapy, I always get excited because that's a podcast. I love that. Oh, man. Wow, what a great um Thanks to who wrote that. And <laughs> now we need to put it on a shirt and <laughs> commission that sentence from them. <laughs> scream therapy from a lot of the folks I've talked to is a release of pent up emotions. It soothes people. It helps them live in the world. 
what would you do without it or how does it affect you screaming gosh the here's collective specifically like speaking to screaming that is such a release that is such a different version of therapy than like sitting with my therapist and talking some things out it's like body therapy right not just emotional and mental it's one of the reasons that I train Muay Thai or like I ride my bike or do these physically active things I'm very grateful that I'm able to do because those are literally an antidepressant for me. And that's what screaming feels like often, especially when you're screaming about something that is important to you. You mentioned when you were younger that you went off meds. Is that something that you brought back into your life at some point? Yeah, I started taking antidepressants again maybe three or four years ago and it has literally saved my life i'm on lexapro right now and when i miss a couple days or i mess up there's been like a couple times i accidentally didn't get my meds filled or like when i was on tour i'm sure there's other like neurological things happening that make me feel these ways but like i I'm just like, wow, this changes my life so much. I'm so grateful for it. And I'm grateful that it exists because even though I was able to like not need to use it for like 15 years, it is not a want, it's a need. It definitely keeps me alive. What prompted you to go back to it three, four years ago? I, I can't honestly remember if it was my own, my own choice for myself or... I, I think it may have been a situation where I was trying to show support and care for my partner at the time. The times that I've been with someone where I'm not in therapy or I'm like not taking care of myself, they experience that part of me, right? And so I started going to therapy, started taking meds, started taking care of myself in a way that would prove beneficial for my relationship and for the person that I loved and cared for. It has taken a lot for me to provide self-care for myself. And I'm grateful for that relationship, that person, you know, speaking up and being like, yo, you have to take care of yourself. It affects me too. The Here's Collective has pretty cool motto or saying around, it's okay to be, it's okay to be. This whole idea of sickness as a weakness is something that I think is really harmful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it stops people from admitting it. People don't want to admit that they're weak often. And even if it does make you feel weak, it, it is important to be like, I'm weak, <laughs> I'm sick, I'm sad, I need help. And I still have to work on myself for that every day. I wish I didn't. <laughs> I wish I was just able to provide for myself. I wish I wasn't so hard on myself often. And that is something about like the Here's Collective or just the ways in which I try to move through the world is thinking about the things that I would say to other people. For example, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be sick, and trying to take my own advice. This all may be really cliche shit, but I just wanted to tell all of you, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be sick, it's okay to take meds, it's okay to ask for help, and it's okay to accept help.
self-compassion. Ooh, I like, yeah, that. <laughs> what struck me about, I think it was on one of the albums or on a t-shirt or something, was this idea that speaking up, it's not going to be chastised or stigmatized. In your perspective, is the punk scene a place where you can say, I take meds, I'm sick, can you help me? Those kinds of things. Is it an open place for that? I, I want to say yes, but I, I feel that being in a band that condones people doing that and I'm in a bubble, I surround myself with people that show like love, support and care. And when we're playing shows and it's not like a here's crowd, maybe not folks that know about us. I don't know what that bubble is like for them. I think often in the punk scene, using that umbrella term, you know, for like anything weird or like hardcore, or like basement shows, any sort of alternative to normal scene. I'm sure there are many places and communities and bubbles where they do feel safe saying that and reaching out, but I would only guess that they are the minority. We're just consistently told to keep quiet. Don't tell anybody about how you're feeling unless you're like bragging about money or something, you know? We live in this capitalist world where it's like, oh no, you're sick, that's weakness. How are you gonna make money now? <laughs> I like to think that punk has a difference between normal society, quote unquote, right? I found it because I was really struggling with identity and undiagnosed mental health condition. Yeah. When I was younger, you would hate to think that punk had all the same stigma as outside society. But from what I've seen of the folks that I've known, there is a difference there. Yeah, I mean, also, punk is normal now, right? There's like punk, and then there's the alternative to punk, punk. (laughs) (laughs) If that makes sense. But I hear you, (laughs) is the short version. The Here's Collective has a lot of songs that are quite joyful and celebratory, considering how intense they are. But I would imagine that there are some songs that tackle some very difficult issues. What's that like to write those songs and to sing those songs, scream those songs? Yeah. Sometimes it is very emotional is the the short answer. Yeah. Playing those shows can be, depending on where we are or how tired we, you know, like, have we been on tour for a month? Are we just getting into it? And it's been like a week and like we're having fun and a great time. They are all full of emotion. I don't think there's ever been a time where speaking to like, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be sick. There's never been a moment, a time that I've performed that with the collective that wasn't full of emotion, that didn't hit me hard. It's maybe felt different depending on what day it is for me. It's never not full of compassion and realness. Tell me the story of Say Her Name. That was one of the songs on this latest collection that to me really had an impact. Yeah, it was just a list of the documented trans women that had been taken away from us the year previous. And we were writing a song and it was like, well, this is, we are literally saying their names and it felt really powerful to do. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out the best way to word it. Like it's not, it was something that felt very powerful 
for us and wasn't something that we really thought about. Being powerful for other people beyond the money that we made from that record was all donated. I know when I've been in bands, especially the really harsh sounding, noisy bands, I start to dissociate when I'm doing that, especially if I am screaming. But I also sometimes think about my place within that noise, within that chaos. And I'm wondering if you have a conscious idea around that. I see it as being this tornado, and I'm in the middle of the tornado, mm. <laughs> but I'm not necessarily scared. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'm not really there. I've gone somewhere else. Totally. I'm putting my imagery and asking you about it, but what's your embodiment within that noise and that chaos? Yeah, I feel like Dizzy Devil, the Tiny Toons version of the Tasmanian Devil <laughs> when that's happening. But I feel like there's been very few times where you kind of speak to like disassociating or not being there. I feel like I am more in myself and I am more, my atoms and molecules are more tightly packed together. And I'm more aware of who I am and what's happening in those moments. Even if I'm tripping over stuff, I feel like specifically the collective shows are pretty chaotic. And that is, well, I'm like, I'm glassing up thinking about spending time with my friends, making chaotic, structured noise that stops on time and how nice it is to grab my best friend and throw him around and be sweaty with people and actually feel like myself. Yeah, I feel like in those moments, I have never felt more secure in who I am and what I am and have never felt as much confidence as I have when I'm doing something I believe in and something that I love with the people that I care about and often for people that I care about. Ugh, I'm getting borderline choked up. I'm just like, oh, it's so important to me. When I speak to it being like an antidepressant, what is something that completely destroys depression and anxiety, right? <laughs> like, it's that for like eight minutes. <laughs> Let the tricks, woman, stay on your life. It's the hardest thing to do. I'm trying to keep a promise. If I can't stay alive for myself, I'll try and do it for Yeah!
Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klahoman Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well. If you don't,